Welcome to Classically Current, where we review current films and old films and link them together. With your host, Zach and Kyle. Welcome, welcome, welcome back once again to yet another episode of Classically Current. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Soul, which was our episode last week. And we thought that this week would be a, a perfect pairing for this week would be Inside Out, which was one of Pete Docter's other films that he directed, as well as Ronnie Del Carmen, who was a co-director. We're going to get into this film because it is one of my favorite films that Pixar has done. So I'm really excited to talk about this one. We're going to get into it. We're going to talk about the director profile again, movie background, some fun facts, and give our overall take. And we're also going to talk about the budget and some critical responses as well when this movie came out. It came out in 2015. And Kyle, anything else to add to the intro here? Uh... No. <laughs> <laughs> Were you pretty excited about this one when it came out in 2015? Did you even watch it in that year? I think I watched it. I think my sister had um, the like one of the like Blu-rays of it, and I watched it at their house. And uh, I remember really enjoying it and being kind of taken back by the visual representation of the mind and how it works yes so it's pretty fascinating uh to watch that but yeah that's that was my first experience with the film awesome yeah i I think i remember watching it in theaters for the first time really enjoyed it then I've, i've more recently enjoyed it the more i watch it each time i'm excited to get into it but uh without further ado let the podcast begin have you ever wondered what is going on inside your child's head or for that matter what is going on inside your head in the 2015 classic inside out pixar personifies emotions makes abstract ideas of the mind into literal constructs and all while creating an emotionally satisfying drama about a young girl's ability to cope with her emotions as she moves from the dreary and frigid Minnesota air to the bright and bustling city of San Francisco. How did this story originate? Is this journey worth taking again? Where does this film rank on Pixar's filmography? All of that and more in this week's episode of Classically Current. As you may know, Pixar's Inside Out came out in 2015. It was produced by Pixar Animation Studios and released by Walt Disney Pictures. It's directed by Pete Docter and co-directed by Ronnie Del Carmen. And the screenplay has several writing credits, but mostly Pete Docter, Meg LaFauve, and Josh Cooley. If you recognize Josh Cooley's name, he was the director of Toy Story 4. It was adapted from a story by Pete Docter and Del Carmen, and uh, you guys probably know the voice cast, but I'll read off some of the the main cast members here. Amy Poehler, Phyllis Smith, Richard Kind, Louis Black, 
Bill Hader and Mindy Kaling, as well as Diane Lane and Kyle McLaughlin. And uh, it is since we talked about Pete Doctor's work last week, we won't really get into too much of a director profile of Pete Doctor this week, but I'll just refresh your memory and say that he did direct Monsters, Inc. back in 2001 when that came out, I believe, and 2009's Up and 2015's Inside Out, as well as last year's Soul. Uh, with that being said, Kyle, give us a little bit of a background on this movie and tell us kind of the origination of the story because it's actually quite interesting how pete doctor came up with it and how to and it you know took a lot of iterations over months to kind of come up with this story yeah well i mean part of this movie uh the idea behind it of uh, riley moving from minnesota to san francisco is also based on you know some of pete doctor's own uh, life experiences uh, when he was a child, they actually moved to Denmark, and uh, it was so his father could uh, study music, the music of Carl Nielsen. But uh, anyways, it kind of, he kind of felt like he didn't have as easy of a time adjusting to it like his uh, siblings did, um, and he kind of felt like he was judged by his peers. And, you know, he wasn't really somebody that was interested in sports growing up, uh, but he would kind of draw and uh, sit alone and just kind of get into animation and that's kind of what um, led to his uh, you know working with Pixar but uh, also I mean in his it was like around 2009 I believe when he kind of came up with the concept of the, the film where his uh, he noticed his daughter Ellie kind of exhibited some of those same uh, character traits like shyness um, you know, like when he had moved originally. So she was kind of more quiet and reserved. And, you know, the, he kind of imagined what happens in the human mind when, whenever emotions set in. And the idea is to depict it through um, animation. And it kind of excited him to kind of come up with that uh, ideal form to portray strong, opinionated, caricatured personalities. Uh, so, yeah, he, he did a lot of research on the information about the mind um, alongside the producer, Jonas Rivera, and Ronnie Del Carmen, uh, secondary director. And, uh, you know, they consulted, uh, you know, multiple psychologists who study emotions. Um, and, you know, they kind of one of them was Paul Ekman, who kind of came up with the six core emotions, which are anger, fear sadness disgust joy and surprise um, you know doctor kind of changed that to five because he felt that uh, surprise and fear were a little too similar that it was kind of hard to maybe uh, write a real good story on that with those similar right, emotions for sure so he yeah uh, he used the five instead but uh, yeah I mean this the smash success of his uh, you know 2009 film up encouraged those at Pixar to allow him to create another film that had a more sophisticated story um, so Inside Out is the first Pixar film that did not have any input from its co-founder and former Apple CEO Steve Jobs because he had passed away in 2011 um, so in addition the film did not have as much input from the chief creative officer John Lasseter who was actually focused on uh, you know kind of restructuring Walt Disney Animation Studios at that time um, 
So yeah, a lot of oh, it yeah, was kind of he was yeah because uh, John Lasseter was the chief creative officer at that time. Yeah, so it kind of was. I feel like a lot of um, uh, you know the creative mindset behind it was kind of put on to uh, Pete's shoulders more more so than normal. So, um, but he kind of estimated that it took about four years of development for the film to achieve, you know, kind of the success of, uh, you know, marrying the architecture of Riley's mind and her personal troubles. And, you know, they, they kind of developed uh, this concept of personality islands and that kind of helps develop the film's emotional stakes. So as they directly affect events inside her mind and in her life. And then you have like a character like Bing Bong, who is a kind of discarded old imaginary friend. And he, you know, he kind of came about in the draft of the film as part of a refugee camp inside of Riley's mind. But, uh, you know, it was difficult uh, for them to achieve a, uh, you know, kind of the correct tone that he was aiming for for the film. You know, he didn't want them, the viewers, to be distracted by you know, Joy's nature or feel negative about the mess she helps get Riley into. Um, but yeah, they, uh, Rivera is also kind of credited with the casting of Amy Poehler in addition to the, you know, idea of moving with helping the film and finding the right tone with her. Um, yeah, and I had heard too that Amy Poehler, when she started the, on the project, they, they were kind of, they were having a hard time personifying joy. They had written the character. They felt like they had a good artwork in place. Yeah. But they well, it was just, just very didn't general. know where to go with her characters. It was kind of, yeah. I mean, on paper, it looks good. But right. once Amy Poehler started the project and gave her some of her ideas, they really started. I mean, it kind of just jump started everything from there, from yeah. then on. With well, her. she kind of just turns into this, like, eat eternal optimist like always mm -hmm. trying to find the solution to a problem you know always looking at the bright side of things but uh you know there was at one point in time where this while this movie was being developed that um you know it was actually going to be joy and fear that get lost together as it seemed to be kind of the more humorous choice in the movie um but it was later kind of evaluated by pixar filmmakers and you know uh, doctor he kind of felt like it was um, not what he was looking for and it wasn't working um, you know and he was you know having kind of doubts about the film and himself and feeling like he may be fired and then you know he takes a walk and kind of ponders you know what he would miss about being at Pixar and he it kind of came back to how much he would miss his co-workers and his friends and it kind of helped him reach a breakthrough that were you know emotions are meant to connect people together and relationships are the most important things in life at the end of the day so he decided to replace fear there with sadness which he felt was kind of crucial to the renewal here so he kind of explained it to the producers uh they kind of re he was actually surprised they reacted positively to it and uh you know it was a scary moment but uh everyone gave it the uh, okay and the film kind of remained in production so yeah right and in my understanding was that he was i mean this was like three or four years in and they're coming to right. this epiphany <laughs> yeah and so it's like uh, it kind of reverts film back comes to... out in three years from that point and yeah. uh, it's like you either have to scrap everything they basically just kind of scrapped everything well a lot of what they had 
done. And then right. they just kind of rewrote it from there with Josh Cooley and Meg LaFauve, uh, who are created, credited as co-writers of the screenplay, and they do other writing on the on the movie as well. But um, mainly Dr. Cooley and LaFauve, it sounded like they just added a lot of their um, children's experiences into the screenplay, you know, treating the emotions yeah. like they are parents, right? which actually is very effective in this movie, and it's very apparent in this this film when you watch it very apparent that's right very yes. apparent i like i like what you did there because <laughs> yeah. michael arndt you know michael arndt is a oscar-winning screenwriter and he had to depart the film because uh they just had to go with a different story which is sometimes how it goes no slights to him i mean he's a talented screenwriter but they had to you know kind of they, they saw a new path and they wanted to go that route but Pretty did, interesting how the story. He still received the credit with that, though. Yes, yeah. So he still has credited parts of this, but I think he was one of the main ones that they were going to hire. Uh, but you know, that's that's how Pixar makes their films, man. There's, it's a lot of trial and error. They're mm -hmm. writing things down. They're you know a lot of character work and even even the sound design. Even uh, you know Michael Giacchino who does the score. I was looking at an interview with him. And he's just, you know, he's watching the film, or at least what they have finished, and then he's playing a little bit on the piano. He's trying to get the core component of the score down, and he just is testing all these different ideas. So there is uh, kind of a memorable it, jingle in there that I like the the kind of yes. main theme of the the film that I liked. It's just kind of a yes. simple, you know, you know, a few piano keys, and I thought it worked well. Well, yeah, and that, that was so effective in Up as well. He was one of the, he was the composer of Up as well, and you'll see that, you know, beginning scene of Up, which is always gets a lot of praise. That was just a simple few notes on the keyboard there, and it made for a very impactful and emotional beginning of that film. And in this one, it carries on as well as being a pretty impactful score, I think, overall. I really enjoyed it. But uh, to kind of move on, Kyle, to the box office and the budget, because this film did do quite well in the box office, as you can imagine. Inside yeah. Out grossed over $350 million in the United States and Canada and $500 million in other territories for about $558 million. And the budget was you know, $175 million, so did quite well. This is an original... Pixar film too and original movies don't always get as much in the box office but this is very impressive for an original effort right here yeah for sure it's and uh, and I think uh, you know Pixar just has developed that reputation at this point where even mm -hmm. their originals will attract a wide uh, wide uh, range of viewers from yeah and parents it's just sad and that it's sad that Soul didn't get a. We didn't get to see how much really right. that would have made. I mean, this made about a two hundred and eighty million dollars of profit for Disney and Pixar. So good for them for that. But it's just it's more than that. You know, it's, it's effect. It's a very effective movie. Very profound. I think it's helpful for kids to kind of see their emotions being personified and kind of see, you know that maybe your anger emotions taking over maybe your fear emotion is and then learning how to control those and cope with them on your own right it can be kind of helpful but uh, and yeah. 
but looking back on it, Kyle, too, this movie did quite well with the critical response, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, so Rotten Tomatoes actually gave it an approval rating of 98%, which is extremely high, and that's off of 372 reviews. Uh, and the uh, website's critical consensus reads, Inventive, gorgeously animated, and powerfully moving, Inside Out is another outstanding addition to the Pixar library of modern animated classics. And the film topped the site's top 100 animated movies list. It occupies the third highest position of a film released in the 21st century on top 100 movies of all time list at number 8. Metacritic uh, assigned the film a score of 94 out of 100 based on 55 critics, which indicates universal acclaim. Audiences pulled by Cinema Score also gave the film an average grade of A on an A plus to F scale. So extremely good reviews. Uh, does really well at the box office. This pretty much hits a home run on everything. It's, yeah, basically, and an A Cinema Score. Basically, yeah. an all around fantastic effort and very very successful for Pixar at that time. So good on them because they had had. Uh, the Good Dinosaur. Oh, that it was came out that same year, I think. right? It came yeah. out the same year. That did not have as much success at all, really. Yeah. That was one of their more weaker efforts in the box office and critically speaking, because I believe Inside Out came out in the summertime of that year, and then in the fall was The Good Dinosaur. I remember that one because yeah. I watched The Good Dinosaur by we myself disappointed. in the theater. No one else was there. What a loser. <laughs> this was not during COVID. No COVID at that time. It was just me and, you know, and the screen. Me, so. myself, and the screen. <laughs> and uh, it was a kind of a, a, that's a memorable experience, but it's also very forgettable as well. Um, yeah. We'll have to talk about Good Dinosaur in, in the future. I'd love to kind of revisit I, that. I haven't watched that one. actually worth it. Yeah. I'd be interested to see what you think. But yeah. Uh, but moving on with this, we're going to do our Did You Know segment once again. So, Kyle, did you know that nearly every Disney Pixar animated feature has the Pixar Planet truck from the original Toy Story, which is a nod to the first film, of course. Toy Story was its first film. And yeah. you'll see this truck throughout their filmography but in this one it appears in one of the memory balls in the foreground you have to kind of look at it it, it, it kind of comes and goes but you'll have to closely look if you watch it again to see if you can find the pixar planet truck have they made uh, an actual pizza planet place oh they have to they, I, mean, I mean there's gotta be a pizza planet do. that exists somewhere right i'm sure they do have like a pizza planet um, it's taken you're talking about like in their theme parks or are you talking about like yeah there's real yeah life? right yeah like something like they've got to have it in their theme park I, yeah. I actually don't know but they probably do because um, they have a toy story land and i would imagine they have that there yeah well zach um i have one for you did you know that uh some psychologists claim there are as many as 27 emotions according to pete doctor uh, as Inside Out was actually being developed, filmmakers weren't sure which emotions should make the cut. And Doctor stated that we toyed with adding pride um, or what? How do you skate in Freudy? Oh, shot in Freudy. Shot in Freudy. Yeah. Okay. Who delighted in the pain of others. That's what that one means. 
but uh, it started getting crowded in there, so we ultimately settled on five. Do you think five was the right number, Zach, or do you think they could have done one or two Boy, more? I don't know if they could have done more than that. I think they they had the right balance because I think they would have started losing. It would have started losing people's attention after a while. They couldn't keep up with some of those. I feel like. Well, yeah, I think that they were right in making fear and surprise just one thing because i think those are very tied to very much tied together as one so right a five is a perfect number i guess what i was thinking like when while i was watching it was like a lot of these other emotions were just like kind of what we would consider negative emotions and the only like kind of happy positive one was joy and it's very broad um i under i kind of understand why they just did that one but i don't know i kind of felt like i wish there was like a little more balance in that uh you know that room but well yeah because they end up pairing joy with sadness which i think is interesting which i yeah i'll get into in the the review portion but right uh, but also kyle i had heard that they were they had like a few different iterations of sadness so they had joy with sadness but one of them was named like uh what was it I think his name was Bud. <laughs> they had a, a male version of sadness called Bud. They also mm. had joy being paired with Bing Bong and, of course, fear, like we had said earlier. So it's just like, well, it's interesting that they just ended up Bing Bong was good. all those. Yeah, I think Bing Bong was good because he added a little bit of, um, uh, you know, comic relief in that. That yes, part. they, they had the right amount of Bing Bong. I yeah, mean, yeah the, he, he didn't the, overtake the film. You know, but uh, yes. he was kind of with them for a little bit on the journey. Um, so he right. kind of helped balance out that, you know, you know, uh, positive characteristic personalities to, uh, you know. Well, yeah, they, and when this film came out, there was some critics who were uh, slighting Bing Bong as, as one of the negatives of the movie. I really? I like him. He's uh, one of the more profound things in the movie, which right. I'll talk about in the yeah. review portion. But. Uh, that's it. but I think they had a good amount because Richard Kind's voice. I don't know if I could listen to that for. <laughs> I'm really. Movie. I think he's funny. I like his he voice characterizations. In spurts, he Cur- is curb your enthusiasm. Those. I think he's funny, and I liked him in yeah. Spin City. You know, yeah, but he, he's a harmonizer in those. He's he's second fiddle, man. Yeah, you can't have him. It's like Mater in Cars too, man. You you can't have him running the show. Right. Um, but Otherwise, it would I, just go off the rails. but uh uh, did you know kyle in this movie also which we were just talking about the good dinosaur uh there's a the the dinosaur trail that they're on at the beginning of the movie where they're taking a road trip down to san francisco it looks to be a dinosaur from the good arlo which was one of the dinosaurs from the good dinosaur so as you know as as you know, Kyle, but maybe some of our fans don't know, Pixar generally puts in a little piece of their next film. So Good yeah. Dinosaur came out after this one, and so they put Good Dinosaur Arlo in this film, and they've been doing that for, with each film you know, f- throughout the years. Um, in uh, Monsters, Inc., you'll notice a Nemo doll at the end where Boo is touching it at the end and playing with a Nemo doll briefly uh, and there's you know there's several examples because Finding Nemo came out after Monsters Inc but right but yeah yeah I mean I think there were even some nods to uh, Finding Nemo like with um, certain games or something that were in the background of this movie 
Like well, yeah, and I, I remember, too, in Ratatouille, yes. there is briefly a shadow of a dog figure in that movie. And that dog happens to look exactly, the shadow looks exactly like Doug, the dog from yes. Up. Right. Which is kind of interesting. but Yeah. Well, uh, you know, kind of going back to uh, some of their ideas for the uh, characterizations or personality um, ideas, they uh, had one for disgust, and that was kind of uh, influenced by broccoli somehow. I mean, I guess P- Pete Doctor finds broccoli disgusting. Um But they decided that green was the perfect color for Disgust. And they even shaped her a little bit like broccoli. And, you know, she kind of emanates from bitterness. So when you feed bitter food to babies, they make a face and they stick their tongues out and spit it out like food. And that is basically the root of Disgust. That's actually a pretty clever way of, uh, you know, looking at it. There's some so kind much of hate. There's so much hate on broccoli here. I, I don't I, I mind love it. Me some broccoli, I like broccoli. man. I like, broccoli like maybe peas. Like if yeah. they if they did like just a green round thing, I, I would have. I don't know. Well, or, when they're when Riley and her mom are getting pizza, they they get you know broccoli pizza. I'm like, man, that looks pretty good. And they're like, <laughs> I would not eat broccoli pizza, but I would love to try that. I'll I'll take any vegetable on a pizza all day. Uh, but uh, Kyle, did you know that the Luxo ball, Pixar's famous yellow ball with that little star on it, uh, appears in several films, including a flashback scene in Inside Out, which features a young Riley and Bing Bong. So it even comes into play in this movie because Luxo is Luxo Jr. was one of their very first animated short films that they did back in the day. I think it was either the late 80s or early 90s when that one came out but yeah, that's so a, many that's nods to uh previous and you know future films that they uh you know put into this film. right but yeah i thought it should we get into our overall review yeah kyle now that we've done the did you know segment there's so many things that you could find on this movie that are links to other films. There's also this Pixar theory that has been widely developed and, and talked about, uh, which you'll have to check out. There's some, we'll have to put a link in here for the Pixar theory. I think the fans might find that pretty interesting, but let's get into it, Kyle. Let's get into our overall take and review of the film. So Kyle, on the surface, this seems like a you know a pretty simple story. You could even summarize this story in one sentence. Adolescent girl struggles to deal with her family's move from Minnesota to San Francisco. That's basically what it's about. But it's much more than that. Because Pixar is taking you on a journey through all of these real ideas about how people process emotions, which is an ingenious idea for an animation to take on. You know, you can make just about anything with animation, and they were right to take on this subject matter. Uh, You can credit Pete Docter for taking on this challenge, as it is very difficult to get the balance right 
uh, like we have kind of talked about. It's tough to get all the characters finely tuned and just right. Uh, there's no lulls in this movie that I've found. I found it consistently entertaining. I found myself enjoying it even more this time around when I f than when I first saw it. I still think the comedy is very effective and the emotions are all very distinct and serve their purpose well. Uh, they're, they're not just throwaway scenes with these emotions. I feel like uh, they each have an important role in helping us understand what uh, Riley's uh, emotional health and her mental state is. And there's a, a great pairing of emotions with joy and sadness, which is pretty profound as joy spends a good portion of the film trying to bottle up sadness. And by the end, she is able to embrace sadness. And because of that, they're able to make it you know, back to headquarters and help Riley get through an emotional time. Uh, because remember, when, when they are paired, it is Joy's decisions that she is making. And, and uh, she is always the one that is kind of making the wrong decisions at the beginning and not listening to sadness at all. And it's not until she is in the pit of lost memories where she realizes and she has that emotional moment there that she needs to embrace sadness for her and Riley to have good emotional health. I also like the deeper meaning of her emotions as kind of being parents as well, like we talked about. They're trying to protect Riley at all costs, and Joy especially is, is always trying to make her happy and never sad. Uh, and I think it's important when looking at this film to remember that uh, letting your child be sad and embracing the sadness helps them cope with real-life stressors. Yeah, I agree with that You know, kind of assessment that you kind of all emotions take... Uh, they have a purpose, and uh, I think it's important that the message be brought out that, hey, we shouldn't necessarily judge our emotions, but rather embrace them, understand them, and just be aware of them, and then, you know, move on from it. But yeah, you don't have to, um, I guess, live in this world of, like, unrealistic uh, expectations for yourself. Like, you can embrace what's really happening and, you know, try to move forward with it. So I, I thought that was a good kind of message that you kind of need each one to balance each other out. Yeah, and I think the, the animation, you know, is it never gets talked about enough because it's so difficult what they're doing, but it's also breathtaking as, as usual here, and they're able to bring these abstract ideas into the film and make them more distinct and recognizable and tangible because um, it's very easy to understand the concepts on display here, I what? felt like. And I really like the use of the memory balls. I thought yeah. that that was a great, uh, you know, way of showing, you know, you know, these little, uh, you know, flashbacks almost to, you know, your former childhood. I like how the they are kind of used as this visual representation of, you know, our, our past memories or flashbacks. Um, and they even, you know, there'll be a certain color based on, you know, the sort of memory um, or the emotion that it, it evokes out of them. So I like the ones that aren't even lit up, how it's, it's uh, basically saying it's the one that uh, is in the subconscious mind. They no longer really uh, think about those anymore. Yeah, and the, there's also very good voice work here. You have Amy Poehler, Bill Hader, and, you know, all these, and Mindy Kaling and Phyllis Smith, which Phyllis Smith, you know, she's not really a, a well-known actress. She's just mostly well-known for office. her work on The Office, which she was not even supposed to be a cast member on. She just happened to read for the part or 
was I think playing off of some of the the characters because they were trying to find somebody to fill that role and then she ended up just acting uh, with everybody and then she you know has this perfect voice for sadness well and i think like too with the sadness there's like that uh that shyness aspect that plays into it too so it's like this kind of really quiet like sad voice that is just like always looking at the negative side of things you know and I thought that that was a good kind of combination there with those two. Right. And it's even like the sound design and the, the music that goes along with them where you have like this little uh, sad tuba sound where you're, where you're uh, having jo- uh, sadness come into play. And then Joy has all of this bright colors on her and it almost is outshining everybody uh, yeah. on the control panel there. Uh, all these subtle things that just make the movie that much better that you don't always realize when you watch it for the first time, but notice more and more and, and th- that you go along with it. Yeah. Um, I, I do think um, kind of one of the weak spots of this film, and there's very few, but I think if there was one, I would, I would actually say the kind of beginning part of it. Uh, like you get that they're kind of having to go into a little bit of, you know, explaining, you know, what's going on this is where we're at and everything is uh, all happy and good and this is how life is and then bam it kind of hits it and then it gets going with the story um i thought it was just a little bit slow with that but um i mean otherwise it was just really well done really creative if i'm having to pick like what i think is you know different with this compared to soul i do think this one is kind of feels like it's a little more straightforward like you're able to follow along a little bit easier whereas soul seems like it's a little more abstract in some ways just like even in the the design of the the characters the animated parts and just the ideas behind it i thought were a little more abstract um but this one is just much more uh relatable with its characters i think in one way and i just think it uh it's just easier for me at least to follow. Yeah, I think it is very well easily digestible here because soul is taking on these concepts that are really just theoretical. You don't really, and and in some ways this is all theoretical stuff that's right. You're you're talking about them, but I think you have a general sense of what is going on in the mind, not necessarily about, you know, the great beyond, uh, which they did a good job of not really getting too much into that. But, and just kind of personifying, I guess, a soul. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. And the sound design and all that that goes with, with soul. Because in, in a lot of ways, they did a lot of the, the grunt work and, and the building of the, I guess, the environment here. I think that helped them to get an understanding of how to build that in soul. Right. And to kind of build these abstract ideas into more kind of, things that are being personified like uh, the souls uh, of joe and then 22 yeah Uh, well it kind of became more of a take on uh almost like a a, this philosophical point that uh, they're trying to make in soul i wouldn't say inside out was very necessarily a philosophical movie but you know rather trying to get at you know what you know is inside of us like what are we feeling and, and that's I, that's why I think it's a little more relatable in the ways because it's it's kind of based more in reality I think than rather you know looking at the possibility of the unknowns 
of life. Yeah, and there's a lot of uh, you know the, all the emotions in this film. I felt like I was able to kind of feel them all a lot of the time. I mean, I was able to feel the joy and the, and uh, but also the sadness uh, on Riley as well as right. some of the anger and the frustration. And it's I think it's pretty funny and humorous when the other emotions try to take over. Uh, anger, when, yeah. When uh, yeah. you know joy and sadness are off doing their thing, trying to get back, you have all of them trying to use their own beliefs of what Riley should be doing. Yeah. And then that is confusing her parents. I think some of the highlights of the film here are this interplay between Riley's mind um, at the dinner table, the dinner table scene yeah. where you have Riley's mind doing, you know, and her emotions <laughs> controlling. And then, and then the dad's emotions, emotions like, oh, we're detecting sass. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. It was and then the mom trying to get his response like a nonverbal communication yeah. between her and him. It's just a great exchange. That's one of the highlights for me, as well as uh, the end of the film when Riley is kind of coming to grips with what she has been doing and kind of um, moving, kind of trying to go away and, and run away back to where she came from in Minnesota. And then she has that embrace with her parents at at the end there with all of her when all of her emotions are kind of confused what, at what to do joy inside riley's mind is able to say hey sadness this is your time i've been bottling you up this whole movie and now we need to embrace the sadness so riley can can move on and cope with this new move that she that they had recently done so right i do feel like this is a uh i think this is better uh than soul in a way in that it i felt that it was more emotionally compelling for me at least to watch uh, mm -hmm. the the moments that were humorous i laughed at the moments that were um kind of sad um you know i really i actually really felt those you know there was uh especially the one with joy and how you know like there's a certain part where she's like i just want riley to be happy and you know, she just kind of breaks down um and you kind of feel that like you definitely see like there that's the kind of parent um a voice that's kind of playing there and it's right. like yeah you just at the end of the day like parents just want their kids to be happy and like they want to be able to help them and you know sometimes it is you just kind of feel helpless probably um at times that you just can't reach through to your kid but, yeah you know. and i also really like the effect that bing bong has because really his you find out as the movie goes along and you know that he's the imaginary friend of of Riley as a youngster, but that he's he's um, basically her childhood kind of going extinct and moving on to the adolescent stage where she's not gonna really need him anymore, and so right. he has to kind of sacrifice himself right. to, to let joy be successful in bringing sadness back, and that's kind of a profound thing too. Is is in this film that they kind of touch on uh, that I really liked. Uh, that they're able to kind of explain that, you know, Bing Bong is just being forgotten because he kind of has to be to allow Riley to then grow up. Right. Yeah, he's kind of that goofy um, representation. and But he's also something that was, uh, you know, very creative. And, you know, it was just all these kind of different thoughts put together. And, uh, you know, I think as we do get older, we do tend to lose a little bit of that creativity we have when we're younger so i thought it was a good portrayal there 
But uh, Kyle, what what would you give this one overall if you had to review it and rate it on like a scale of zero to ten? Now, um, I'm gonna go nine point five. And yeah, I strongly recommend that uh, if people haven't seen it that they watch this. Um, again, it's just another film. I would put it in like the top five of Pixar films. I just think from you know entertainment and you know thought provoke provoking it it, it kind of hits on uh, all cylinders there yeah i mean for me kyle i'm gonna be doing something unprecedented on a classically current and give this i'm just gonna go ahead and give this one a 10 whoa because i just like it that much <laughs> and it, i think it really is that good i uh, watched it uh, you know again recently to, for this review but uh, I don't remember liking it as much when I first saw it, but when I watched it again, I think it just kind of all came together uh, even more this time. And I appreciated the motions and the animation even more. Uh, so I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. And, and obviously this is one of, I think it is one of Pixar's top tier, as you would say. Cause it's Because now there, there are yeah. 23 films, and you have to have a tier. There's middle tier and top tier. I think this one falls in the top 10 and top 5 at least. I think Soul falls in top 10. It's up there with this Toy is Story. top 5. So if I had to put 5 that I really enjoy of Pixar, uh, I will count the Toy Stories as 1 because there's 4 of them and it's kind of a single arc there. Uh, so I'll put that in there and then I would put this one in that top 5 as well as, for me, Wally and Up and... I'll also do, um, boy, mm -hmm. this is tough. This is tough to do. Finding I, Nemo? I'm going to put Finding Nemo in there hmm. for the top five. Gotcha. Um, I, I, I don't know if I could give you rate them into top, top five. five, but I will just put, well, I just put them in there. I wasn't really ranking them, but I would put all of those in there. I'd have to actually really sit and think yeah. about, you know, ranking all of them but because uh, i grew up with all of them and uh, there's yeah. some people just growing up with pixar and haven't really experienced all of them but i would i would put those in my top five as ones that are just musts that you have to see well but, and this for me this like when i first watched it this was a film i i didn't like necessarily have a high expectation for i expected it to be you know decent obviously because it's pixar but i watched it at a time where i wasn't like really paying attention to like animated movies so much um but I remember just being like pleasantly surprised throughout the entire film and just really liking the ideas behind it. Right. And so. yeah, I mean, it, overall, great movie, I think. 10 out of 10 for me, 9.5 out of 10 for Kyle. Now is the part in our show where we're just going to get into... Oh, oh, one more thing before I forget. Actually, uh, there is one thing. Oh, listen, one more thing. Oh. It just, it'll just take a second. I am uh, kind of picking between a few movies for our next movie. It's going to be a new release. It is one that actually came out at the end of 2020, but mostly got more attention, I guess, or beginning of this year. You didn't want news to do the little of the things? world. I'm thinking of News of the World as our next film. We can also do The Little Things or News of the World. What do you think, Kyle? I don't know what News of the World is. It was Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, man. Can't go wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's older, though. The Little Things just came out. Mm, um, and it's on HBO Max. 
After some discussion, Kyle and I have decided to do The Little Things. Stay tuned for our review and overall take of The Little Things with Denzel Washington and Jared Leto next week on Classically Current. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Classically Current. If you like this, please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you will never miss a show. And if you found value in our show, we'd love it if you gave us a review so we can continue to grow and reach more enthusiastic movie fans in the future. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Be sure to check out our Twitter account, Classically Current, to receive film and entertainment news as well as updates on our show. Thanks again for joining us. Stay classy. And stay current.